Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I'll go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centenarian, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. Uh, thanks for having me here this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ollie. And so it's a great pleasure to be here this morning and thinking about Matthew uh, together with you. I might pray and ask God for his blessing before we start. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God who has revealed who you are and what you've done. So we thank you and we praise your name for the wonderful gift of your word. Uh, we ask now as we come beneath your word, as we think about your word, as we consider your word, that uh, you might use it to be a great blessing to us, a great encouragement to us, and a great comfort to us. We thank you for what it tells us about who you are and it tells us about what it tells us about your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So for those who don't know, I'm currently at Bible College. And one of the things we've got to do for college is between third and fourth year, which was for me the start of this year, we have to do a thing called summer placement. And so what summer placement involves is we go to a church for a month and we do lots of different things, preaching each week and uh, Bible study and that kind of thing. But one of the big things I did in January this year was lots of pastoral care visits. And so there's one particular pastoral care visit that has kind of been burned into my mind. And so it was a hot day. It was in Jan. It would have been about 45. Um, I go to this guy's house and I was there for about an hour or so, just chatting, getting to know him, hearing about his testimony, that kind of thing. 
And just as I was kind of winding up, getting ready to leave, he said to me, oh, I was going to give you a cold drink. And it's 45 outside, so I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Water would be nice, thanks. And so he kind of paused and he said, nah, I was going to give you a whiskey. He was going to give me a whiskey on a pastoral care visit. And so I said, um, I said, oh, I've got to drive home. Just water will be fine, thanks. And he kind of paused. Nah, I'll get you a whiskey. And so I'm like, okay, just, just a small amount. Like, I've got to drive home. And so he comes out with the biggest glass of whiskey you've ever seen in your life. It was incredible. He gave me whiskey on a pastoral care visit. But I'm quite grateful to him because what it did was it opened my eyes to this wonderful world of whiskey. So I've started getting into it. It's quite a pretentious thing, but yeah, I started getting into it. And so wanting to kind of learn more about it, I went and chatted to one of the elders at my church who's a self-proclaimed whiskey snob. And as soon as he heard that I was interested in kind of getting into whiskey, he started bombarding me with all these laws about whiskey. And so um, you're meant to use a special glass when you're drinking it. You're meant to pour it and let it sit out for a while before you drink it. You're then meant to smell it. The first mouthful you take, you're meant to kind of swill around your mouth before you swallow. You can't use ice cubes and you absolutely have to only have single malt whiskey. And I didn't know there was this huge kind of list of things that you're meant to do. And so he kind of, he filled me in on it. As you can tell, he loves and cares about whiskey. And this was particularly evident for me when we went out to celebrate his birthday. So it was this same elder's birthday. And so uh, we went out to a, a whiskey bar, again, quite pretentious, but we went to a whiskey bar and we all chipped in for an expensive glass of whiskey for him as something nice to do for his birthday. And you should have seen the way he was treasuring this cup. It was like it was a baby. He was kind of cradling it and looking after it. He was smelling it. He was wanting to pass it around so we all got a smell. He was kind of, I even saw at one point he was sitting back with his eyes shut and this look of pure bliss on his face as he savoured the taste of this whiskey. I was convinced that that moment if a gunman had have come in and shot he would have dived in front of this glass of whiskey and taken the bullet for it. That's how much he cared about it. And it's a bit of a kind of light-hearted story, but I wonder if deep down we all want to be cared about in the way that my friend cared about this glass of whiskey. Deep down we all long for people to care for us, people to treasure us, people to put our needs first, people to protect us. I mean, think about it. That's why marriage is such a big thing. Because we think we've finally found that person who cares for us unconditionally, who'll be there for us for better or worse in sickness and health until death do us part. We've found that person who'll care for us. Or what about mateship? Mateship is such a huge part of Aussie culture. And why? It's because we think we've found those people who care for us, who'll be there for us no matter what, who'll be there for us through thick and thin. And what about family? Family is such an important thing because family are those people who they don't get to choose you, but they're there for you because blood is thicker than water. Deep down, we all long for someone to care for us, someone to care for us unconditionally. But what happens? Well, no one cares for us in the way we want them to. Marriages break down and divorces happen. People let us down. Our mates don't actually care for us in the way we want, us, want them to. They're, they're busy doing their own thing when we want to spend time with them. 
family disappoint us, even family, the ones that should be there for us, aren't always there for us. And so people let us down. We don't get that care that we long for. And of course, we're not innocent ourselves. We let other people down. We want care, yet we don't give care back. We snap at our kids sometimes when they're trying to tell us stories. We're too tired to talk to our spouse when we get home from work. Our mates have organised a plan, but instead we kind of bail at the last minute to sit on the couch and watch TV. We let other people down as well. See, we desperately care, desperately long for someone to care for us, but no one does it in the way we long for. And in a sense, that's what Matthew 8 is about. Matthew 8 tells us that even if everyone else lets us down, even if no one else cares for us in the way we long for, Jesus cares. And so as we work through it, we see that Jesus cares about the rejected. Jesus cares about the despised. And Jesus cares about the lowly. It's such a wonderful message of hope and of comfort. And so the story starts as Jesus comes down. He's just given the Sermon on the Mount, this famous big teaching, um, teaching event. And as he comes down, did you notice who comes up to him? A leper. So lepers were seen as these completely and utterly rejected people in, society, in Jewish society. And when we think about it, it makes sense. Leprosy is quite a disgusting disease. It attacks the skin. And so what happens is uh, they'd have kind of peeling, pussy, oozy, weeping sores all over them. Uh, it also like, it destroys the nerve system, which means that often what would happen with lepers is they would uh, bash into things because they couldn't feel it. And so they'd have broken bones, broken fingers, broken toes. So their hands are all kind of crooked and wonky. They're kind of rejected, they're cast out. You're not allowed to live in Jewish society if you're a leper. And so they're living on the outskirts outside of town where it's dirty and it's disgusting. Their clothes are probably all worn. They've got to have, uh, they've got big long beards. They've actually got to put their hand in front of their mouth and walk around yelling out leper whenever they're there. And so physically, they're just disgusting people. And so you can kind of understand why people would be a bit hesitant to be near them. But even more than the physical side of it, is the spiritual side. So leprosy was seen as a sign that you were cut off from God. It was seen as a sign of God's displeasure. And so what it means is you're not allowed to live in the cities and you're not allowed to go into the temple. And so they were just completely rejected from Jewish society. And this rejected outcast comes to Jesus. And in a sense, what he asks for is not surprising. He wants to be healed. But did you notice how he asks it? Have a look at verse 2. And behold, a leper came to Jesus and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. See, this outcast, this rejected outcast, knows that Jesus can heal him. And so he doesn't even ask. There's no doubt in his mind. He just says a statement. Lord, if you want to, you can heal me. There's not a doubt in this rejected outcast mind that Jesus is capable of it. It's incredible trust. It's incredible confidence from one so rejected, so outcast from society. It's incredible confidence. But even more incredible is Jesus' response. Did you notice what Jesus does? Have a look at the third verse. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. 
Jesus touches him. Just imagine it. This guy's dirty. He's disgusting. He's got pussy, oozing, weeping sores all over his body. Probably hasn't had a shower in who knows how long. There's a disgusting smell. His clothes are old and worn. And yet, Jesus touches him. But even worse, the thing about touching lepers was if you touched a leper, someone who's spiritually unclean, then you become spiritually unclean. It transfers across. And so what that means is no one touches a leper, you just don't touch a leper. And so this guy, there's a good chance he hasn't been touched in years, decades, however long he's had leprosy, he hasn't been touched. Imagine that. Imagine never having a hug. Imagine never having a kiss. Imagine never even, ha- even having a handshake. For years he's been starved of human contact. And of course that's how we show affection, isn't it? When you, when you love someone, you hug them or you kiss them or you hold hands or whatever it is. That's how we communicate affection. And yet this rejected outcast has been starved for years or decades of human contact. And so imagine what it felt like for the leper when Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Just that simple act of kindness, of acceptance, would have nearly broken the leper's heart on the spot. And what happens when Jesus touches him? Does Jesus become unclean? Does Jesus get leprosy? Does Jesus become spiritually dirty? Have a look, third verse. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. See, this is crazy. It's just not how dirtiness, it's just not how uncleanness works. I've had a lot of experience with this, so I played about 10 years of uh, Australian football, and um, I think it's a little bit of an overstatement to say I was by a long way the least skilled person on our team, and so basically my whole um, my whole kind of attitude towards football was physicality and intent, so tackling hard and going for the ball hard and that kind of thing. And so when I woke up in the morning and saw that it was a wet, muddy day, this smile formed on my face, because what happens when it's wet and muddy is my skills are here and everyone else's skills are here, but when it's wet and muddy, it's hard to be skilled. And so their skills come down a lot, and mine are so low, there's not much more space to go. And so it evens out the playing field. And all that matters when it's wet and muddy is the kind of aggressiveness of your attack on the ball. And so when I saw it was going to be muddy, my, my face lit up. And so what I used to love doing, my favourite thing was um, to run and just slide along the ground through the mud at the ball, slide 15 metres. And if people's legs get in the way, that's right, you knock them out the way and you get the ball and you handball it off. But then what happens is you stand up after having slid through 15 metres of mud and there's just mud everywhere, caked everywhere. And I mean everywhere. See, that's what mud does, isn't it? Mud makes you dirty. If you slide through mud, the mud sticks to you. You're no longer clean, you're dirty. And it's the same with leprosy. If you touch the dirtiness, then you become spiritually dirty. But not with Jesus. Jesus touches the dirty and the dirty becomes clean. In a sense, it's like Jesus slides through 15 metres of mud. He stands up. And instead of him being dirty, muddy, the mud has transformed to hot, soapy bath water. Jesus makes the dirty clean. Jesus looks at this lowly, rejected leper and he cares about him. He cares for him and he deals with this leper's issue. 
Now, of course, he deals with the physical issue. The guy's no longer got this sickness. He's allowed to move back into Jewish society. He's allowed to be a normal person again, in a sense. So he deals with the physical issue, but even more importantly, he deals with the spiritual issue. See, this leper, this rejected person from Jewish society, is no longer a reject. People no longer look at him and see God's displeasure on him. They look at him and see that he's spiritually accepted. It just shows us how much Jesus cares about the rejected. He cares then, and he cares now as well. Because we have the equivalent of lepers today. We have people who are rejected from our society, people who are cut off from our society. I mean, think about it. Who are the rejects from our society today? Now, of course, there's the obvious ones, those toothless, brainless Collingwood supporters. But what about the others? Who else are the rejected people from our society? Well, what about those with mental disabilities? Now, sure, um, politicians might look for photo opportunity come election time, but the rest of the time, they're kind of shunned from society, put away where no one can see them, put away where no one has to think about them. They're rejected from our society. Or what about the homeless? We kind of walk past them. If we're in the city, we walk past them. We kind of avert our gaze and we kind of maybe tut-tut a little bit at them. And we're just like, I wish they were gone. I wish they weren't there. I wish I didn't need to see them. They're rejected from our society. And what about the poor? Those who never mow their lawns. They've got a falling down fence at the front of their house. They've got a couple of kind of burned out or no longer working cars piled up on their lawn. And again, we think, what are they doing? Why are they like that? I wish they'd just go away. See, there's plenty of rejected people in our society. But what Matthew 8 tells us is that Jesus cares about them. Even if our society doesn't, Jesus does. Jesus cares about those rejected. And Jesus also cares about the despised. Those who are not just rejected from our society, but those who are hated by our society. It starts in verse 5 when a centurion comes to Jesus. And now you might be thinking, why is he rejected? He's successful. He's got people under his command, probably quite wealthy. In our society, he'd be lifted up. But instead, he's despised in their society. And it's for a number of reasons. To begin with, he's a Gentile, so he's a non-Jew. And so uh, Jews just didn't like anyone who was a non-Jew, so anyone who was a Gentile. So he's already kind of got that going against him. But even more than that, he's not just a Gentile, he's ethnically a Roman. So they are the ones who have enslaved the Jews. They're kind of suppressing Jerusalem. And so they're the kind of hated invaders. So he's got a second tick against him for why he's despised. But not only is he a Gentile, not only is he a Roman, he's actually a centurion, a soldier. So he's actively one of the ones who are suppressing them, who are... um, kind of there occupying them he's the occupying force so it's another tick against him he's got three ticks against him it's like he's got the trifecta for why people would hate him imagine if it was someone who was a Collingwood supporter who liked Justin Bieber music and was a vegetarian like we'd just hate them we'd say oh what are you doing it's like he's got the trifecta for being despised and so it's no wonder that they can't stand him And what does this despised centurion want? Have a look at verses 5 to 7. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. 
So this centurion, this despised one's servant is sick, and he wants Jesus to come and to heal the servant. Now, to us, that kind of sounds pretty normal. It makes a lot of sense. But this is actually extremely unusual for those times. In, see, in those times, servants were seen as like an appliance. They weren't, lo- they weren't worth your effort. And so if your servant gets sick and dies, oh, well, that's all right, get rid of him, get another one. So I found a couple of quotes that kind of make this point. And one philosopher at the time said this about servants. This is what he said. The only difference between a slave, a beast, and a cart is that the slave talked. They were seen as equivalent to a beast or to a cart. Uh, This is what Aristotle said. He said there should be no friendship and no justice towards inanimate things as well as a horse, ox, or slave. That's how unimportant. There should be no justice towards them. They're just an object. And so who cares if he's sick? Who cares if he dies? It doesn't matter. Yet this centurion comes for him. And so what we see is this despised man coming for the help of a lowly man. And Jesus says he'll come and heal him. But did you notice the centurion's response? Have a look at verses 8 to 9. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Again, we see this incredible faith, this despised centurion looks at Jesus and he realizes who Jesus is, the authority that Jesus has. And he says, Jesus, you don't even need to come. All you need to do is speak and my slave will be healed. He recognizes authority. And we all know authority, don't we? We all know what it's like to be under someone. So at the moment, I'm a student minister out at uh, North Geelong Presbyterian Church. And I'll show you what my, um, what my minister looks like. So um, this is my minister at the moment. As you can see, he's um, quite an intimidating man. And so, um, so this is my, my boss at the moment. This is my authority at the moment. And so I'm the lowly student minister and he's the mighty minister. And so if he tells me something, I do it. If he says, Ollie, we've got a meeting this week. Well, I've got a meeting. If he says, Ollie, we don't have a meeting this week, I don't have a meeting. If he says, Ollie, you're preaching this week, I preach this week. He's the authority and I, I follow. If he says jump, I say how high. And we all know what that's like. We've got bosses at work. We've got teachers and principals at school. We all know what it's like to be under authority. They speak and we do. And this centurion looks at Jesus and he realizes Jesus is the authority. He's the boss. When he speaks, sickness has to follow. Sickness has to obey. So all Jesus needs to do is say the word and the sickness will leave this centurion's servant. And Jesus does it. But interestingly, he does it. But did you notice the kind of expanded way he answers? He doesn't just say, okay, I'll do it, and that's it. Have a look at verses 10 to 12. Look at such an extended response. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Jesus is amazed. And he says this despised person will instead be accepted in, will be welcomed into this heavenly feast. And so that's what it's talking about when it talks about um, those from east and those from west. Um, It's talking about um, non-Jews, those who are despised, those who are outside the kingdom. If they have faith like this centurion has, then they will be welcomed in. And those who are already in the kingdom, the sons of the kingdom, they'll be cast out if they don't have faith like this centurion. And so what we see is the despised will be welcomed and those who are supposedly loved will be cast out if they don't have faith like the centurion. Jesus cares about this despised one so much that he's willing to welcome him in to the eternal feast. And again, this isn't just for them, it's for now as well. Jesus cares about the despised. He cares about those who are despised for their views on sexuality, the easy philaos of our culture. Jesus cares about the immigrants, those who people look at and think are stealing jobs. Jesus cares about those who are on welfare, that we look at, that society looks at and says they're dull bludgers and despises them. Jesus cares about those who are despised in our society. He puts out his invite to them. He says, come into my kingdom, come to my feast and enjoy my presence. Jesus cares about the despised. And finally, Jesus cares about the lowly. Have a look at verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Now, it might seem strange to our culture that a woman would be seen as lowly, but that's what the view was at the time. Women were seen as second-class citizens. Uh, Their witness didn't count properly in court. Men wouldn't talk to women in public in the daytime. Uh, The inheritance usually went down the male line. Um, I even came across this Uh, daily prayer that Jewish men would say and this is what they'd say on a daily basis this is what they'd say they'd say Lord I thank you that I was not born a slave a Gentile or a woman that was their daily friend so I mean it sounds weird to us but that was their mindset women were the lowly ones in society they were looked down on they were seen as unimportant and yet Jesus comes in And he sees this lowly woman lying there sick. And he doesn't even wait for anyone to ask. He just goes over and he heals her. He has compassion on her. He cares about her. Have a look at verse 15. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Jesus cares about the lowly. But he doesn't stop there. They bring more and more lowly, rejected, despised people to Jesus. Demon-possessed, the sick, those with spirits, they come to Jesus and he looks at them and he cares about them and he heals them. Jesus cares about the lowly. He cares about those who are socially awkward, those who are kind of quirky and hard to get along with. He cares about the elderly, those who our society looks at as past their use-by date. He cares about those who aren't blessed with good looks or intelligence. And so I looked down on by society. Jesus cares about the lowly. It's what we see when we look at Matthew 8. It's this wonderful picture of who Jesus is and what his mindset is. We see Jesus cares about the rejected, those who are cast out from society. 
He cares about the despised, those who are hated by society. And he cares about the lowly, those who are scorned by society. He shows up by healing them, but he also shows up by something much bigger than that. Because did you notice how our passage ends? Did you see verse 17? Have a look at it. These healings were to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is a quote from the passage we had read out from us before us before. It's Isaiah 53, and it's that wonderful passage of the suffering servant, the one who will come, the Messiah who will come and who will suffer in the place of his people, who will be rejected for his people, who will be despised for his people, who will be made lowly for his people, so that they might be healed. Not just healed physically, but healed spiritually. Because that's what Jesus is on about. He's here not just to heal physically, but more importantly, to heal spiritually. He bears spiritual illnesses and spiritual diseases for the sake of his people. And he does it by suffering in their place. Jesus was rejected by the world so that we might be accepted by God. Jesus was made lowly and scorned by the world so that we might be lifted up before God. Jesus was despised and hated by the world so that we might be treasured in God's eyes. That's what this wonderful suffering servant has done. It shows just how much he cares about his people. And the wonderful thing, though, is that Matthew 8 shows us Jesus didn't just come to do this for the powerful, for the famous, for the wealthy, for the successful. He came to do it for those who aren't that, those who aren't admired or loved, those who are unemployed, those with mental disabilities, those who are outcasts from society. Jesus came to suffer and heal all people, not just those who are looked positively upon by society. And it's such a great comfort to us then when we're feeling lowly or rejected or despised, when we're unemployed and we get back, knocked back off another job interview. And so you're feeling lowly and rejected, you're feeling unworthy. Cling to Jesus because Jesus cares. If you're single and you desperately want to be married, and so you're battling with feelings of being left behind and like no one wants you, then cling to Jesus because Jesus cares about you. When you're slaving away at home as a housewife and you're constantly told by society that what your work you're doing is unimportant and you should go and get a job, then cling to Jesus because Jesus cares about you. When you express your faith at work and so you get mocked by your workmates, when you're feeling rejected, when you're feeling despised by them, then cling to Jesus because Jesus cares. When your friends gossip about you behind your back and they say unkind things and you're feeling lowly, when you're feeling rejected and unloved, when you're feeling lonely, then cling to Jesus because Jesus cares. Whatever we're going through, we can cling to Jesus because Matthew 8 shows us that Jesus cares. Even if all the world doesn't, Jesus does. And for those of us who aren't feeling lowly or rejected or despised at the moment, then praise God. That's a great thing. But it's an encouragement to us then to encourage those, who, to care about those who are feeling lowly and rejected and despised. To remember how Jesus feels about them and to model that to love them in the way that Jesus loves, to care for them in the way that Jesus cares and to point them to him, the one who will care about them unconditionally, no matter what. 
the one who will never let them down. Matthew 8 is this wonderful reminder that Jesus cares. And so as we close, I want to share with you a story about uh, one of my favourite uh, people. She's a lady called Fanny Crosby. So uh, some of you might be familiar with who she is. So she was a famous author of hymns from, uh, in the 1800s. So she's a Christian woman. She's a famous author. She's done lots of the uh, hymns in our hymn book there. But the interesting thing about Fanny was she was blind. So she was born blind. And obviously, if you're born blind, that's, that's how you live your life. So she was blind. And so imagine that. Imagine never getting to see your family. Imagine never getting to see the wonder of a sunset or the beauty of a sunrise. Imagine never being able to walk around without a cane or some kind of device to help you make your way. Imagine the taunts from kids at school, bullying and calling names. Imagine being laughed at behind your back as if you're some kind of unworthy person because of your disability. Imagine people always feeling pity for you because of your blindness. That was the life of Fanny Crosby. Always looked down on, always kind of shunned a little bit from society because she was different. Yet she wasn't disheartened, she wasn't broken because she realised that Jesus cares. Even if the world scorns her, even if the world laughs at her, Jesus doesn't, Jesus cares. And so she wasn't disheartened. But there's this wonderful story about her where a well-meaning minister said to her, oh, if only God had given you sight, if only you weren't born blind. And do you know how she responded? Uh, This is what she said. So she said, uh, do you know that if at birth I'd been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Saviour. How incredible is that? She says if she could actively choose one thing at birth, it would be to choose her blindness, the very thing that has made her an outcast, the very thing that has made her rejected and lowly in the eyes of the world. She would choose that thing because even though she has physical blindness, she's got spiritual clarity of sight. She realises that she's valuable in Jesus' eyes, that Jesus cares about her. And so the first face she will ever see is the face of the one who cares about her no matter what. And so, in a sense, even if we're not battling against blindness, we're still struggling with ideas, with that feeling of rejection, of being an outcast, of being despised. And the wonderful thing about Matthew 8 is that we can run to the arms of a saviour who cares even when no one else does. The one who was made lowly, who was rejected and who was despised so that we might be lifted up accepted and treasured. What wonderful comfort we have in the arms of Jesus, the one who cares. And so I'm going to pray and thank God. Let's pray.